Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, before we start, um, they, they gave me sponsors here, and I have to read this, so I'm, I'm sorry. Um... Let's see. Uh, okay. This episode of Sanity Cast is brought to you by Tucker Carlson's Baffled Bitch Face. Hey, has this ever happened to you? You're at your job, you know, debating some virtue signaling, social justice, human rights snowflake on your primetime cable news show, and the snowflake is telling you all about marginalized peoples, and you can't say what you really think, so you talk about things like shifting demographics and hope your elderly viewing base at home gets what you actually mean by that? Well, what if I told you there was a way to shut down your opponent's entire fact-based argument without presenting any actual counter-argument or facts of your own? Introducing Tucker Carlson's Baffled Bitch Face. You've seen it, you love it. That slack-jawed, lipless, mouth-agape look of constipated befuddlement that's made Tucker a hero to millions of dudes who like owning libs but don't have time to learn shit. Well, in Tucker's new online workshop, he'll teach you how to pull focus from the person who's actually talking by developing your own doughy grimace that instantly conveys to the viewer, eh, this person's not making sense. I'm trying to understand, but I don't like this. And, and why is this person still talking? And I'm going to keep making this face so the over 72 demo knows to hate you. Let Dancing with the Stars veteran Tucker Carlson show you how to relax your chin and jawline right into your neck and find your douche in the headlights look. The skills you'll learn from the big tuck, they're like those old Bubba the Love sponge tapes. They'll never go away. And once you've mastered your dismayed and puzzled Bob Roberts with no songwriting ability, crypto-fascist scowl of misogynist concern troll, your enemies will run away faster than your own advertisers. The Tucker Carlson Baffled Bitch Face. Release your smug. Hmm. Then this copy's getting better. Let's begin. Welcome to a time when the only people who believe Trump is a Christian are the ones who believed Obama was a Muslim. I'm John Fugelsang. I'm a comedian and actor and broadcaster, and I once interviewed two Beatles on different continents in the same week. One time I debated Jerry Falwell on Bill Maher's show. I called him Pro Some Life. And apparently IMDb tells me that I'm in Coyote Ugly. Huh. I also do a show on SiriusXM Insight Channel 121, five days a week with some fantastic guests, and this is Sanity Cast, the political comedy podcast about not going completely batshit. Uh, a guy I know in the New York theater world said to me a couple of weeks ago, no, dude, listen, listen, I'll, okay, I, I, I know, it's not funny anymore, okay? Yeah, Trump is Trump, but dude, it's not 
funny anymore. And I replied, uh, fuck you, that's exactly why we need to make fun of it. This is a show about the never-ending tsunami of disinformation, hostility, and spiritual narcissism that's trying every hour of every day to divide and dismay. How to fight it with facts, with empathy, with humor, and the best parts of American culture. This is the fine art of giving a fuck. And this was the week when Alabama turned Gilead into Hillbilliad. Game of Thrones ended with democracy literally being laughed at by an electoral college of superdelegates who actually picked the next leader. I, I don't want to tell you who they picked to be king, but Bernie would have won. And this was the week that history will record there is a God and he sent us Rudy Giuliani because God loves us and wants us to laugh. Uh, you probably heard that Michael Cohen testified to Congress that the president's lawyer, Jay Sekulow, had told him to lie about the dates of the Trump Tower project in Moscow. Rudy Giuliani flew to Twitter to defend Sekulow, uh, tweeting, Jay Sekulow is one of the most ethical lawyers and honest men I've ever known. Michael Cohen is a serial liar. Cohen should be prosecuted for his blatant perjury before the House Committee. Jay should receive the most effective and ethical lawyer of the year award. I don't know who gives it out, but I'd love to get the most ethical lawyer of the year award. But what does this statement say about the times we live in? Because what this tweet by Rudy actually says literally is, it's our president's lawyer saying our president's other lawyer lied about the president's other other lawyer lying because the president hires liars to be his lawyers. And welcome to our second episode. Stephanie Miller, I made it to two. You promised to delete all those photos if I got this far. I want to thank everybody who subscribed so far here in the early days. And thanks for the very thoughtful comments on episode one. Thanks again to David Crosby for joining me. Follow him at The David Crosby. Check out his last four albums, including Here If You Listen. And that new Cameron Crowe documentary is beautiful. And I'm really excited about our second guest uh, for this episode. A recent New York Times article called this artist a comedy master who hasn't gotten her due. That was the headline, and it focused on her amazing career and relentless creativity. This is the first woman to have her own hour-long comedy special who hosted the White House Correspondents' Dinner. It's Elaine Boozler. And we're also going to have talking points on what happened with Alabama and Roe v. Wade that could make you a master debater, uh, music and film that could talk you off a ledge, the next installment of Ask a Trump Defender, simple direct questions for the Trump Defender in your life that they probably haven't heard before, plus a very, very holistic segment devoted to spirituality, which we're calling the revoltingly fake Christian of the week. Because we live in an era of gaslighting that I call what the fuck fatigue. Now, remember, friends, uh, 7 1717, July 17th of 2017? That was back, you'll remember this, when the e cigarette makers poured money into our president's bank account by having their annual conference at his DC hotel down the block from the White House. And 10 days after they poured money into this laundry of money pit, 10 days. Later, the FBI announced they'd delay federal oversight of any e-cigarettes until 2022. Now, of course you don't remember that. That was July of 2017, 875 what-the-fucks ago. Brothers and sisters, the president, the treasury secretary, the former White House general counsel, and the attorney general are, as we speak, all blowing off and ignoring congressional subpoenas. Because the best way to prove you didn't secretly obstruct justice is to obstruct justice openly and publicly. We live in a time where the Planned Parenthood shooter was too insane to stand trial for murder, but not too insane to legally buy semi-automatics. 
We live in an era where the number one restaurant is McDonald's, our top magazine is People, our number one cable news channel is Fox, a land where the Christians voted for Caligula, and a sex tape with Ray J can lead to the cover of Vogue. Dress Barn is closing 650 stores. Ford is laying off about 7,000 white-collar workers. That's about 10% of their salaried workforce. Payless is closing stores. Party City is closing stores over a helium shortage. Office Depot's closed at least 50 stores. Nike, Adidas, and 170 other companies say that new tariffs would be catastrophic. The Chinese state media is calling Trump's tariffs irrational because, quote, they will hurt the U.S. economy. About 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their bank account, according to Fortune. And Donald Trump is going to take credit for all the new jobs created because they're bringing back new coke. And we live in a time when the Alabama Republican Party is so moral, so pro-life, so anti-big government, and so Christian, they just voted to let the power of the state force rape victims to carry their rapist children. Time for a little segment about real headlines, which I call, really, It's Not You. By the way, I want to welcome all the new subscribers, especially any of you who are running for the Democratic presidential nomination. Um, more the merrier. Thanks, guys. Glad you're doing it. Uh, try not to bloody each other up too badly before the general, this particular election year. Now, with the casting of Judge Brett Kavanaugh as final judge, the states can now do their dream audition for Roe v. Wade Idol. And this week's first contestant was Alabama. You go in the SCOTUS, dog. Alabama's near total ban on women's reproductive rights could be headed to the Supreme Court as the ACLU gears up for a real heck of a fight. Now, you've heard about the Human Life Protection Act. It would make it a felony for doctors to perform an abortion at any stage of pregnancy unless the pregnant woman's life was at serious risk. There are no exemptions in the case of incest or rape if an 11-year-old is raped by her father. The government will have the power to force this child to carry and bear her sibling baby. That is what they're celebrating. Alabama's lieutenant governor uh, made clear last week this is all an effort to get Roe v. Wade overturned, and doctors could face up to 99 years in prison for performing an abortion. Now, I, I say doctor. That's wrong on my part. The law actually calls them abortion providers, and that's more apt because once this law goes into effect, there's going to be a lot of guys performing abortions who do not have medical licenses. Now, listen, if you're uncomfortable with abortion, I understand that. We're going to talk about that later in the show. Uh, there's lots of progressive people, and this is not their favorite issue, and there's lots of people who don't think it applies to them. And there's lots of people on the conservative side who would stand with progressives on things like being decent to poor people and fighting climate change and cleaning up pollution and getting big money out of politics, but the abortion issue is what keeps them on that side. It's the magical Patronus spell from Hogwarts abortionist Patronus, that instantly makes a Christian place something Jesus never talked about over everything Jesus ever did talk about. Now, I love Alabama, beautiful state with an amazing history. I have been on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I have sat with Brian Stevenson at the Equal Justice Initiative. I've seen the works that Heidi Byrich does to monitor hate groups for the Southern Poverty Law Center. There's amazing people in Alabama. I love the state, and in fact, as I'm doing this, I'm looking at this uh, set of coasters I have that I bought at the Hank Williams Museum. It's a great museum in Montgomery. It's on Market Street, and it's actually called Market Street because, well, <clears throat> that's a topic we'll get to another day, but I love Alabama, and I love the African-American women voters of Alabama who put in a pro-abortion rights Democrat into Jeff Sessions' job. But 
There's a part of Alabama that is the Mississippi of Alabamas, and we're going to talk about it today because conservatives should not like this. Alabama's rapists should thank the state GOP for finally giving every one of them the option to pick the mom of their next child. Too harsh? That's the law. And we're going to cover this later. We're going to talk about why the Christian argument is not what you think. And I do think the Supreme Court will probably just refuse to hear this without comment and bounce it back down. But there will be many more. And while it does seem bleak that Roe v. Wade, which is overwhelmingly popular, is nonetheless doomed, um, remember Charles Bukowski. What matters most is how well you walk through the fire. These are tough times. They want you to check out. They want you to despair. They want you to sit on the couch and watch Kardashians and be a consumer, not a citizen. I am not an optimist, but I am a recovering cynic. And part of the show is about proving that for every negative, you kind of have to find five positives. And in the case of Alabama, it's easy. Illinois. Lawmakers there are trying to pass the Reproductive Health Act, which would codify into state law that Illinoisans have fundamental rights to make decisions about their own reproductive health, including decisions about abortion. In Kansas, you ready for this? Six to one ruling, the Kansas Supreme Court ruled last month that the state guarantees the procedure would remain available even if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Nothing's the matter with Kansas. Here in New York, we just passed the Reproductive Health Act in January, because all we do here is copy what fucking Kansas did. Uh, in Maine, they've got a bill requiring Maine Care, that's the state's Medicare program, to extend their coverage of abortion services and require all private health insurers that cover maternity care to also cover abortion services. Because is it moral to force poor people to have more children? and then vote for politicians who cut services to those people and their communities? Is that the moral choice? In Nevada, they're weighing a bill that would strike the old abortion laws in the books. In Vermont, one bill makes abortion rights a state law. Another bill would establish a constitutional amendment guaranteeing women's right to access, which would make that the first time any state lawmakers in America have voted to do so. And uh, I'm supporting a bill that notifies every opponent of Roe v. Wade whenever they think a fetus will grow up to be transgender or Muslim. It's DNA testing. We, we, we can figure those things out. Moving on. He was Amash. He did the monster Amash. GOP rep Justin Amash called for the president to be impeached in a hell of a Twitter thread on Saturday. Key point, Saturday. I'll tell you why. But he laid it out with four points. His tweet. Here are my principal conclusions. Number one, Attorney General Barr has deliberately misrepresented Mueller's report. As a Republican said this. Number two, President Trump has engaged in impeachable conduct. Number three, partisanship has eroded our system of checks and balances. Number four, few members of Congress have read the report. Now, he's a member of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, which is currently investigating Trump for financial misconduct. It's almost like he knows stuff that we don't. And, of course, this makes now the impeachment argument bipartisan, which had been one of Nancy Pelosi's lines that had to be crossed. I think there's a moral and a legal argument for impeachment. There is a political argument to wait. And I think they are waiting. And I think the waiting has helped. And I do think that he will be impeached. But most tellingly, Amash posted this on a Saturday night, guaranteeing as little amount of press coverage as possible. Meanwhile, the governor of Florida is not allowed to tell Americans which two counties had their election information hacked by Russia in the 2016 election, but it really actually did happen. Two counties in Florida were trifled with with their election information. Tune into Hannity to not hear more. 
Over in Taiwan, the parliament voted to legalize same-sex marriage. It's the first time in Asia this has happened, and it's a huge win for civil rights groups all across the continent. Thousands of supporters gathered in Taipei. Uh, President Tsai Ling-wen wrote, Good morning, Taiwan. Today we have a chance to make history and show the world that progressive values can take root in an East Asian society. Today we can show the world that love wins. Oh, that's I can't wait for him to jump into the democratic field. Um, here's a fun thing for you. Daenerys Targaryen, uh, first of her name and not the last. Everyone's talking about Game of Thrones, and uh, I liked it. I'm very unpopular. Uh, I don't agree with some of their radical story-changing choices. Uh, Jamie Lannister, too. But I thought it was a blast. Here's the, the most unhip, least popular thing I can say. Um, it wasn't perfect, but I liked it so much, I'm excited those guys are going to make three Star Wars movies. That's how uncool I'm willing to be. But Daenerys, it turns out, and Khaleesi have become really popular baby names in America, which makes me embarrassed I named my daughter Hodor. But according to the Washington Post, at least 3,500 girls have been given the names Daenerys or Khaleesi, many misspellings, over the past eight years. And uh, I think that's hilarious. You name your daughter after a feminist fantasy icon who winds up being a mass-murdering, genocidal uh, fascist. A uh, little awkward. Not the worst baby name. Um, my vote still for the worst possible baby name, Adolf Judas Kardashian. Speaking of, Kim and Kanye, uh, they named their fourth baby Psalm West. And they have every right to do that. I was still hoping they would name this one South by South. If you've ever seen the Rolling Stones live, you also know the best reason to see them live is Mick Jagger. And he just released a video post-surgery this week of him practicing some dance moves. And uh, he, he moves like Jagger. By the way, that song uses uh, auto-tune, unlike Jagger. But the man is 76, and in two months, uh, he's going to have his birthday, and he just had heart surgery, and he's dancing like a 25-year-old. And look, I'll, I'll admit, last fall, uh, when I saw his name trending on Twitter for a moment, I was horrified. I thought, like you did, oh my God, Mick Jagger's trending. I, I, I hope it's not another solo album. I'm glad he's okay. And finally, I want to wish George Lucas a great 75th birthday. And if it wasn't so great, I hope he goes back and re-edits the entire day until he gets it the way he liked it. The number of the week is one. The number of the week is one. And that number is the only position Lindsey Graham has ever had. Progressive friends, please stop asking, how could Lindsey Graham change from impeaching a president for minor stuff 20 years ago to being this, this slavish little barnacle on a dinghy protecting the president from multiple crimes today? I mean, what, what, what's up with this guy? I say, people, calm down. Lindsey has not changed. He hasn't evolved. He hasn't changed a bit. He was doing the bidding of his donors then. He does exactly the same now. When you view it this way, it'll make you a lot less furious. Craven obedience to whoever will keep him safe in Gen Pop is Lindsey Graham's only priority. He wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and says, what do my donors want? What do I have to do to keep my job? Why should I not care what the world thinks when I flip like a crack house mattress? And now it's time uh, for some master debating. Okay, this is a segment called Master Debater. 
or it might be uh, maybe master debating. I'm I don't I don't I, I mean I got to see which one looks better uh, printed on a Peabody award. But this is a segment full of debate points, talking points about a different subject. Today it's about abortion. Take them or leave them. But uh, I advise you to try to commit some of these to memory if they speak to you, because I try to collect all kinds of debate points we don't hear on corporate news, master them, and pretty soon uh, you'll be master debating all over your distant loved ones when they come over at Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, here's a little tip. And um, you can ignore this if you want, but when I'm debating uh, the particular topic of abortion rights, I try to do something um, where I actually have this thing called respect for their intention behind their anti-abortion rights stance. I don't like the terms pro-choice or pro-life generally. I, I kind of feel they're, they're a bit manipulative. Um, but pro-choice, yeah, that ain't China. Uh, so, so what I do is when I'm debating someone, I try to, to you know, let them know, I know something you don't. And that is that we're both coming at this from a place of goodwill. I don't automatically tell someone who's anti-abortion rights that they hate women. Uh, they disregard women, but um, I don't assume it's born out of hatred for women. I think many of these folks truly, truly want to do the right thing and think they are doing the right thing. I happen to think it's profoundly spiritually lazy, and they haven't actually thought about how they would spread the love of Christ to the born people. But you get the idea. You don't have to respect their stance. I try to respect the intentions behind it because I can say, look, I know we're both coming at this from a place of goodwill. It doesn't ever hurt when debating something like abortion to cast yourself as the good guy in this discussion. Here's a few quick points. Number one, I throw this at my loved ones all the time. Abortion has always been around. It will always be around. Ending Roe v. Wade won't end abortions, only the safe and legal ones. Can we agree on that? anti-abortion right-wing loved one, you're going to be creating lots of new jobs for new Dr. Kermit Gosnells in back alley clinics. Number two, uh, what's the end game here? You're never going to end abortion. You'll only end the safe legal kind when you criminalize it. So is the end game locking up women or locking up doctors? Because ultimately, that's what you're fighting for. You're not going to ever end abortions. You'll just be incarcerating women and or doctors. And America's not with you on this. Number three, in a 2012 Gallup survey, 77% of Americans supported abortion rights in all or some cases. Now, only 43% described themselves as pro-choice. And the Christian right went to town on that one, saying it proves that the abortion rights people are in the minority. It wasn't. Only 43% described themselves as pro-choice. And that's kind of what choice is all about. It's kind of what my parents were all about. Um, my mom was a former nun. My father was a former Franciscan brother. They were not fans of abortion. They both felt that uh, abortion was too commonly used as a birth control device, and they both uh, were very uncomfortable calling themselves pro-choice, but they would never vote for a politician who wanted to criminalize abortion rights. Because while it wasn't my parents' cup of tea and wasn't the kind of thing they would do, my mom was a nurse, and she remembered what it was like in hospitals before Roe v. Wade. Number four, 80% of white suburban women want to leave Roe as it is. 79% of African-American women. 79% of never Hillary independents want to leave abortion rights the way as they are. Wow, where were you guys in 2016? And 71% of millennials don't want to touch Roe v. Wade, according to a new Axios survey monkey survey. Continuing, had a little pause there. Number five, get ready for this one. This is going to blow some conservative Christian loved ones' minds. 
But the Bible never actually forbids abortion. Never forbids it, never tells you to go harass and scorn and slut shame or incarcerate women who have to deal with it. The Bible says life begins with first breath. God mandates abortion for unfaithful wives in the book of Numbers, and God frequently demands the slaughter of infants and fetuses over and over again. If you believe in the Old Testament as literal fact, you believe God drowned every fetus in the world one day through a great flood, and uh, if God had a problem with killing kids, we wouldn't have Passover. Number six, as far as the New Testament, Jesus never mentions abortion, but he did oppose the death penalty many times. Something else conservative Christians in America part ways with Jesus on. Now, um, they'll say, well, Jesus never mentioned abortion, but he didn't mention monster trucks either. It doesn't matter. The fact is, I'm not saying Jesus would approve of abortion. I'm not saying he would say federal dollars should go to plan B. The point is, he never mentioned it. And what that means is American Christians who are single-issue voters on this, the Christians who would vote for comb over Caligula because he pretends to be against abortion, have actually prioritized something Christ never talked about over everything he did talk about. Which leads to number seven. Abortion isn't just legal in Israel, it's free. So all the anti-abortion MAGA people praising Alabama trying to kill Roe v. Wade, y'all should probably start demanding we end all USA to Israel. Am I right? Get on that, Hannity. Number eight. You want to end almost all abortions? Throw this at them. Fun birth control education. Condoms are a very effective solution to the problem. Look what Colorado has done. Number nine, we don't have an abortion problem. We have an unwanted pregnancy problem and an abortion symptom. Maybe our friends on the right and the left could get together and have some honest, constructive, positive dialogue about how to solve the unwanted pregnancy problem. No, because abortion is and has always been the Republican Party's number one fundraising and vote-getting tactic. I mean, I've always said for a long time, as long as politicians have mistresses, abortion will be legal. But now, you know when both Tommy Lauren and Pat Robertson are coming out against an abortion law, hoo-hoo, that dog caught the truck. And finally, number 10, if you still deny that climate science is real, then stop telling us you care about the unborn. <laughs> I'm a student. I'm a professional. I'm a woman. And I shouldn't have to worry about walking alone, day or night. I've heard it all. Honey, give me a smile. Harmless catcalls? I never know. I carry Tiger Lady. It's a revolutionary defense tool that's based on one of nature's most efficient defenses, a cat's retractable claws. It weighs less than my phone and is designed to collect DNA. Tiger Lady is discreet and fits in my hand. And when I make a fist, claws come out like a real-life Wolverine. It's easy to use. Doesn't require training and is legal in all 50 states. Get your Tiger Lady today by going to TigerLady.com today. Tiger Lady makes the perfect graduation gift to prepare her for the world ahead. Get Tiger Lady today for safety's sake at TigerLady.com. And for a limited time, get a pack of four at 15% off. Use the code GRAD and save an additional 20% off your entire order. Go to TigerLady.com. That's TigerLady.com. Tiger Lady, the ultimate gift of personal safety for any graduate. My guest for this episode is one of the greatest and most influential American comedians of the last several decades. The first woman 
to have her own one-hour comedy special on television. This woman has always been an innovator, besides being a prolific and groundbreaking and just gut-bustingly, brilliantly funny stand-up comic and actor. When am I supposed to interrupt you? This is, it's all me. Uh, this <laughs> woman has been... I have an amazing whitefish recipe. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that, too. Oh, okay. a, a philanthropist, an author, a political activist. This is a person who Carson loved, Letterman loved. She is synonymous. Well, let's just fix that one. I Carson said past did tense. not love any women. Well... <laughs> not if they weren't, you he know... He loved the work. He didn't love women comedians, but except he, Joan Rivers, because she didn't challenge his notion of womanhood. Uh, and then that came to an end, yeah. too. Well, yes, because she dared to be independent. But Carson made our lives di impossible. So I just don't want to give him credit where it's not due. But you could say Merv Griffin gave well, us Merv our Griffin lives and our careers. And again, I've heard you talk about how, how Fallon is doing what Jay didn't. How Fallon is bringing oh, young yes. and up-and-coming comics yes. onto the air because he's not intimidated by Jay that. Jay wanted comedy to end. He wanted to be the last comic standing. He really did. And Fallon is just like, hey, it's funny. Come on. Oh, wait, it's, so, it's so weird. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Um, this, woman is, <laughs> oh, <that's perfect. laughs> this woman is synonymous <laughs> with... The great pizza. I am synonymous. She is with synonymous pizza. with pizza, which is also great. But you're synonymous <laughs> with the great wing of the great '80s comedy boom. This woman wait, hosted wait. and 70s. crushed, and the '70s too. This woman crushed the it 1870s. at the White House Correspondents' <laughs> Dinner. Right. This woman runs Tales of Joy, the nationwide nonprofit that rescues all species of animals. And the latest release from this woman is Timeless, a box set that features her greatest specials, including her essential latest album, which is titled my favorite of her more recent bits, The 5050 Club. This woman is the subject of a New York Times profile on how she is the comedy master who hasn't gotten her due. And I want to talk to you about that headline. This woman Oh, shucks, you're Elaine Boozler. You Hi. are amazing, and I'm so glad. Thank you for joining us. That's all the time we have. Yeah, that's all the time. My intros really, the intros take a lot out of me. <laughs> Thank Elaine. you. You talk for a bit. I'm going to get a shake. Okay, and, uh, you know what's funny? Mm. Uh, on stage, this for years, like 46 years, this has been my intro. Please welcome one of the most popular comedians touring the country today, Elaine Boozler. That's all they're allowed to say. And they're warned. If they say anything more than that, I won't come out. And they say, why? And I say, you always screw it up. In the early years where here's someone who's so not bad looking for a female comic or here's someone who should have been a bigger star. I just figure nip it in the bud. So I have the one sentence and and I realized in watching other comics, the longer the intro, the worse the act. Oh, God. So, I mean, like, there are people who I'd wait and I'd go, oh, my God, this is a 15-minute intro. And, you know, there I can name them. So yeah. that's my little intro. But thank you for all that. I, I oh think the 15-minute intro is a lot of fun on radio and podcasting. On stage, it's a death knell. Bob Dylan for years. For, do you know what his intro was for Bob years? Dylan. Here's Bob Dylan. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please welcome Columbia recording artist Bob that's Dylan. That's it. That's I would have used that if I was on Columbia. You should have used Yeah, it's, <laughs> it might be available. Well, no. anyway. well, for a few, for a couple of years, he tried having like a big, long What's monologue that was like, you know, he, he was lost in a haze of drug abuse, found Jesus, and came back with some oh, of the greatest music of his I later career. I saw that show; it was terrible. His yeah. Jesus music was terrible. Mm, that sounds was a horrible sound, show. sounds good on the uh, on on the bootleg series. Yeah, sitting there, it was uh, really, uh, you know, it was penance. Well. <laughs> But he's but, he's interesting, and I guess oh, I can I deviate that. because I mean you're married to a guy who is synonymous with with great rock and roll stars. Yeah, but. and I don't I don't fault him. I'm still a fan. I mean of, of Bob oh, yeah, Dylan. Yeah, yeah. I love his you know his Blue Period, whatever. Well, you that, have that's to, it. You know you have to metamorphose. He seems to be to he's a shapeshifter, and he right. loves to like to like push the audience away so yeah. far. I mean, whether it's born again, whether it's going rock and roll, yeah. which he got booed for, yeah. going country, He's which confounded Bruce everyone, of, uh, of music. writing a song about Lenny Bruce in the '80s, which confounded everybody. Did I miss that? Oh yeah, it's a weird song. Oh. Uh, he he, of course, the he just released five albums of Sinatra covers, like like. 
That's hilarious. Right? Like the he'll release... The least voice that you would expect to be doing Sinatra covers. And that's why he did it. That's hilarious. This would be Macy Gray doing uh, <laughs> Leontine Price. I like her voice, too. I love her voice, but, you know, she can't. she's not going to be able to do Beverly Sills. That's true. Well, I mean... I think, but in the case of Dylan, I think it was just he, he, he got so tired of hearing everyone knock his voice for wow. all those years. He, he, he decided to punish the world. They're great albums for people who love Dylan's voice but hate his songwriting. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. so have you heard any of the Yeah, I, they're covers? wonderful. I'll give you a flash drive. That's fantastic. I mean, they're spooky, they're weird, but like Bob but sings the good. hell out yeah. of it. He went to Capitol Records, walked around the room, and, and he tried to find the spot where he thought his voice sounded best wow. in the same room Frank sang in. The band wow. stood in a circle, no headphones, they played live, wow. and he can do that. A musical artist of that stature, a gazillionaire eccentric, can push people away right. and then win them back. Right. Comedians... Well, you know, it really depends. First of all, Dylan's fans are smart because of what he puts out. It's not pop, mm. you know, so they would follow him there. There are artists I love that, that turn to work that I don't love, and I think, okay, they'll be, you know, watch them keep going. It's still them. <laughs> and, you know, when I met Bill, you talk about Dylan walking around the room. When I met Bill, he took me to the bathroom that uh, Jim Morrison recorded um, L.A. woman in because of the acoustics in Bill's old office. He goes, here's the bathroom. I said, oh, man, you know, you find your acoustics. Yeah. I always wanted to do the shower album. Right. <laughs> Just have the water running. I actually, years ago in my act, I, I actually recorded my shower on a little tape recorder, and my encore would be, I'd come back out, and I'd put the shower music on, and I'd sing a song. I'd say, I can only sing in the shower, so here it is. And I'd ha hold the little recorder into the mic with the shower water, and I'd sing my song. And this was how I got an encore, because comedians <laughs> never get an encore, ever, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who gets an encore in comedy? No, you, you're done. You, you gotta please. That's why we can't do it, but well, Dylan does. Well, we please, but there's no such thing as coming back out like rock and roll. So I would say to them, well, I've never gotten an encore because comedians don't get an encore. In fact, the closest I ever came was someone saying, you can say that again. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you broke a lot of hearts um, when you released this beautiful box set and announced... <laughs> That, that I was your, going to eat pizza now. That your touring days, not yes. your comedy days and no. not your writing days, no. but your touring days yes. were going to be, if not ending, mm -hmm. slowing down. Let's just say it's take a lot of money to get me to get out of my pajamas and put on lipstick again. Yeah, I have 46 years with him now. And unless the work is really meaningful, I won't come, you know, come back. I'll do like a yearly benefit for Tales of Joy to fund my rescue. But as far as the touring and stuff, you know, comedy changed, the venues changed, everything changed. And I went, I've done enough. I'm just repeating. If there was some new thing to do or a new level to work at, I would. But, you know, I don't need to go to the Dallas for the 8,000th time in 46 years. You know, I'm kind of, I, I did it. I said it. I have nothing left to talk about it. I mean, I do. I write every day, but I just your don't Twitter want to tell you. Is, your Twitter is outrageous. It's I mean, do you, do, you, do you miss it or do you no, get used to it? No, not even. 46 years, I was nervous. I thought, I don't know how I'm going to take it. And Bill, my husband, said to me the other day, hey, E, it's been a year. Uh, you, you don't miss it? I said, excuse me, do you see me at the market talking into a banana? No, I don't miss it. I'm fine. <laughs> so... I, I had don't this, miss it. When I, when I met George Harrison, this was the subject oh. of my interview with him, because I yeah. kept, and he was irked, but I kept returning to like, I, I don't understand how, how you can, how you don't need that rush that you get. I know there's a lot of accompanying anxiety well, and agita that goes with it. you're much younger than I, number one, 
And when you get to my age, because as I said, I toured for 46 years. Uh, you know, after you've toured for 46 years, tell me what you're thinking, mm. you know? And I would die if I couldn't be funny every day and see a response. But there's tons of social media. I write all the time. I'm constantly sending articles out to magazines and newspapers. I do express myself. And it was always about expressing yourself. It's not that I need the, f the feedback. I, I'm secure. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> How did you feel about that New York Times profile? Um, it's so funny. I had no warning whatsoever. I knew the gentleman who wrote it. We had talked about other articles. I would, he would want quotes for other things. So we had had phone conversations in the past for other people's articles. He never told me he was writing about me. He never told me anything. I had no idea. I'm, I, it came out. I knew nothing. And I'm on Twitter one day, and, and Aline Brosh McKenna, who you know, created Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and wrote mm -hmm. them all with Rachel and put me on the show last year, which was the most fun ever. And she said something on Twitter. I said, what are you talking about? You went to my website and, and br brought up an old, oh, she retweeted it. I said, yeah, I know I have 50 million articles on my website. What'd you pick? And you picked an old one from the time. She said, this is today. And I said, what? I mean, that's how I found it. And I read it and went, oh my goodness. Um, it was kind of a very lovely gift surprise, you know, a nice surprise present. I don't know why, when, how, maybe, maybe someone asked him or Bill asked him to write, you know, give the box set a plug. And then he just decided I'm going to take a deeper look. So, you know, it had warts and all, which is fine with me. I thought it was a very nice thing for him to do, you know, and I want to say his name, but of course I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm this old and it's just, I'm going and say his name and his name is because he's a really nice writer and he writes a lot of comedy and you're going to find it in a minute, right? <laughs> oh, I didn't. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. I'm all over it. <laughs> I think because yeah, he yeah. deserves his name. So. Oh, of course. And of course, you know his name as well I as I do. I know his name. It's just that we're so, this, it's like the, the five o'clock hour where your blood sugar goes down. We get down. so caught up in our flirty banter, but you know what? Let's, <laughs> all kidding aside, of course, we're both talking about Jason Zinneman. Yay, and, Jason Zinneman. Yay. He writes tons about the letter, old Letterman show. He's mm -hmm. a fan and... You know, so anyway, it was, you know, I know that people said, ooh, the article, it's kind of like you didn't make it. And I said, well, I know. you know what it is? It's I did make it and I didn't make it. I got where I could go. And the way I started out when I was 20, it's like I just ex really expected to be dead in the gutter. So getting anything would have been more than I expected. So wherever I got to, whatever rung on the ladder I'm at, there are people below me, there are people above me. That's life. I did what I did. I didn't die on the street. And, you know, I like the article. Uh, there's nothing more I, I can like say. I like it, too. Thanks. You know, it's interesting hearing people talk about your legacy because when I, when I look at you, I just see you now and I see the material that you've done lately. And even though you're not touring, I, I think the stuff that you're doing is some of the funniest, sharpest stuff between your political stuff, your stuff about being a woman, about aging, your stuff about the New York Mets. So, okay. I, I view you in very contemporaneous terms. I know it, sir. I'm certainly not an oldies act. I'm not, you know, the Beach Boys. Well, the Beach Boys are new, too, because Pet Sounds brought them back, too. Mm. But I'm not an oldies act playing Indian casinos. You know, everything is completely contemporary, as I showed when I did Fallon. Um, no, it's not that. It's just, it's, you know, here's the thing that's heartbreaking in a way. Comedy never had an age limit on it. And the in the old day, in the old days, you know, in the old days, the older a comedian got, the more venerated. You know, George yes. Burns sold out Caesar's Palace when he was 95. He sold it out mm -hmm. for his 100th birthday, five years early, because people were so 
excited to see him. You know, the older these comics got, the better they got. Age was never part of comedy. Cosby, Carlin. Everybody. But and Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers and Tony Fields. And what happened? Comedy Central started. You know, it was 18-year-old boys and three chicks will blow us. That's pretty much what my husband and I called, you know, <laughs> Comedy Central. And I had a friend who had a really, like, best-selling book about Etsy. It was hilarious. It was called Regretsy. And it was brilliantly funny. At really brilliant and she went up for a meeting to turn it into a show and before her ass hit the chair they said we don't meet with women and she went okay thank you they yeah. actually admitted they that? said we don't meet with women well I'll tell you a better one Jimmy Mike Walker. Pence has the same policy by the way but go on <laughs> he doesn't meet with women um, uh, Jimmy Walker the comic of course. years and years and years ago we were hanging out in New York like in the 80s and he said uh, you know I'm going over to New York Health Club today and they always have some stupid excuse about not letting me in oh we have our guest quota already filled today or oh today isn't a guest day or oh we have a private he said one of those bullshit excuses today and I'm, I'm going to go off and I'm calling the police and I said okay good luck have a nice workout and I see him about three hours later I said how'd it go he said didn't make it I said you didn't get in he said nope I said what happened he said I walked up they looked up they said sorry pal no blacks no Jews what can I do they told the truth damn I know different times when you're looking at the current times uh-huh. how much does comedy and creativity help you not just make sense of it, but just get through it. Politics? I talk about politics. Well, here's the thing that's funny. You know, people don't understand comics at all, like where our art comes from, usually. I I think I stopped touring because I didn't want to hear one more person say to me with this administration, oh, you must be getting so much material. My answer to them was, you know, I'd rather have good government and talk about my weight. I tell him I would have been so happy with Bill so, Clinton as the first lady. I would have had. Yes, I would have been material nirvana. Absolutely, I much rather have children getting educated in the classrooms in public school and poor people not living with Gila monsters in their apartment. I mean, if you had seen that special this weekend and how you know De Blasio is maybe the worst we've ever had and you know the crookedest and the worst and now he's running for president and my husband said how. How can he think he'll win? I said, how can he not think he'll win? Another horrific con man from New York became president. He thinks that's all you need now. Another horrific con man from New York. I think it's sort of like the the presidential, Tina Dupuy calls it the presidential loser industrial complex. You you just run for president because it'll lead to higher public speaking fees. Well, it does. It it does. It ups your price. Literally, it's like doing a bad variety show. And you go, the show's horrible. You go, yeah, but my name gets out and I get, you know, much more money next week. It's just that. How did it feel to see um, for the first time the White House Correspondents Center not using a comedian, but rather an historian? I I thought it was hilarious because historians of the group Trump should really be a afraid of much more than comics that's so funny what was my tweet that day my tweet was oh even though they're not using a comedian this year the uh i never say the president i don't i call him scrotus which by the way i have credit in the urban dictionary for scrotus i wrote it after the pussy tapes for me it's scrotum plus potus so he's always scrotus and the third lady that's what i call them (laughs) um but uh I think my tweet that day was, well, Scrotus, once again, isn't attending the White House Correspondents' Dinner, even though they're not having a comedian. Because if there's anything Scrotus fears more than a funny comedian, it's a presidential historian. (laughs) They're the ones who are going to bury him. Of course. More than comics on their best day. Exactly. Did you watch the guy? 
Yeah, I did. I liked him. Yeah, he wrote the Hamilton book. he was brilliant. He was entertaining. He knew that he wasn't a comedian, so he was funny within his limit. Mm -hmm. And I really thought it was interesting and fun. And and it didn't offend me in any way that it wasn't a comedian. No, in fact, I I thought in a way it was actually quite good because speaking of the correspondence dinner, it seemed for a while that it it had become this self-congratulatory... inter- what was it called? The nerd prom for years? It got too yeah. cute. It got too institutionalized. And it really just kind of showed that we do need a separation of press and state. Because uh, in, in many ways, when you hear a comedian telling arch jokes and the, the crowd gets upset, well, I mean, it's supposed to be there. That you, the only reason to have a comic is to mock how poorly politicians do their jobs when warranted and how poorly the press does their job of covering these people when warranted. And I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, it was the Will the uh, uh, Will Rogers kind of view of, yes, it cuts to the bone, but it's done in a cordial manner. So you are telling truth, yet it can be done in a way where people can laugh at it because you're like, ouch, it hurts. But yeah, that is funny because we are guilty. And that was kind of the goal of doing it. Even Colbert, who blew the roof off that year, they didn't even understand what he did to them till the next day. Yeah, I mean, if you it watch was, it, he oh. didn't blow the roof off. He went there and he was playing to the cameras because the room was not getting it. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I noticed when I did it and then I started really following it closely because I did it so long ago, 93, yeah. you know, Clinton's first year. But it's very interesting and I think it, it completely is the MO of the Republican Party. The, if you look at my tape, because I was the first year they started taping it, so it's available on YouTube. Right. If you look at it, the laughter was incredible. Incredible for the entire 20, 20, whatever it was, 25 minutes. In a bipartisan room. In a bipartisan room with the press and the government, and then the next day the papers tore me to shreds. And so I, you know, as inappropriate and horrible, and, and I went, oh my God, that's painful. And then I started watching every, I would watch comedians get the laughs, blow the roof off, and the papers killed them the next day. And I said, this is just like Republicans. They sleep with hookers and they deny it the next day. I didn't have a good time. I didn't have sex with that one while that was Bill. But, you know, (laughs) Democrats do. But, no, mostly Republicans. It's like they have a good time and then they turn their back on it. And that's what it is. They're too ashamed to have been human or... You know, let anything go. And, so. and you know, umbrages are our national drug. I mean, umbrage, absolutely. Whatever you think of Michelle Wolf's set, she never attacked Sarah Sanders's appearance. Of she course. mocked her lies, and, and that's been proven right. Hey, I wish that she would have come back this year to now mock Sarah Sanders for what she has become, what she has let herself be seen as, and. First of all, you know, Michelle was on such an uneven playing field because you cannot roast the person who's not in the room or you're just a bully. So it was completely out of her hands and not her fault. She was made to look aggressive and like a bully because he wasn't there to defend himself. We all would have looked like that if the president didn't go up after you and do all the answers they all did. I had to sit through Bill frying me afterwards, Clinton. You know it's coming and it's fun. And you you just get, I mean, all Trump had to do was just get through it and and pretend he can knows how to laugh and then read jokes that Stephen Miller writes for him. This is not a a, a mature, a developed human being. You know, the thing that separates us from animals, although I don't think so now because I've seen dogs and and monkeys have a sense of humor, actually. Cats, too. So he doesn't have a sense of humor. He absolutely cannot laugh at himself, which is, you know, the height of intelligence is when you can laugh at yourself. The height of intelligence and humanity and everything he's missing, he has this big hole in the middle, scrotus, that just all of humanity just washes through like the wind, and he doesn't feel
feel or get it or understand. Yeah. You know, in a way, I pity him. I, I Like when he was standing there the first time he had the team coming and it was all the hamburgers and the fries and he was showing it and the picture came up on Twitter. I actually tweeted something nice about him because yeah. as much as I hate what he's doing to destroy not America but the world, um, I felt for him at that moment and I thought, you know, what if he just thinks this is what kids like? You know, what, what young people like? Like maybe this is just a day at the fair or a day in Coney Island. Or it just made me sad and I, I, it, I felt for him. But of course it didn't last long because then he, you know, started pouring more titanium in the water yeah, or something. Exactly. So I mean, what you was, can't even get fooled into thinking he's human. What was it like for you when he was selected. I mean, when the Electoral College, when the dead slave owners got their wish and the popular vote was ignored, what was the what level of shock for you? What voted to now award their um, Electoral College votes? Oh, there are to several who, that are doing it. We need to do that because if we can't get rid of the Electoral College, then at least we can do this, which is uh, awarding the Electoral College vote to the person who wins the popular vote. Yes. And that will keep our candidates out of living in Ohio for seven months. Because <laughs> it is ridiculous that one of the smallest states gets all the attention and the huge states are here going, hello, we're over here naked, take a look. You know, it is all corrupt and wrong now. And we need, and they won't get rid of the Electoral College because it's such an ingrained thing. They're afraid to dick with the Constitution unless it's about abortion and your body. Although that's not the Constitution, but it is the law of the land. That's right. Um, and it's not the Bible, by the way. The Bible does not prohibit abortion. This episode I'm, is dealing a lot with Alabama. Okay. Well, yeah. I will just say that, you know, I never throw the Bible into my arguments. I know you do because you can argue it well. But I don't think the Bible is relevant to our government because it says the government shall not uh, decree a religion. Oh, so, I agree. It's relevant know, to the people who are making the religious yes, arguments. but they have no business in government if they want to live their ding, lives by religion. Ding, Elaine Boozler. That's it. So, yeah, I mean, I just talked to so many people who felt, oh, my God, America had a moral IQ test and has failed it. Well, uh, see, I see it differently, and, and I may be wrong. I mean, I'm not a pundit, so I don't have, like, every fact. And you can argue, oh, no, but it was an eighth of an inch to the left. I'm just telling you what I saw as a human being at your level of citizenry. Here's what I saw. They didn't like Hillary, okay? But they realized this clown was destructo. So... Hillary was about five points up about a week or two before the election. And that is because people went, great, I'm going to hold my nose and vote for her. I don't like her, but there was nothing with the emails. Nothing's been proven. You know, they, they dropped the email investigation. It's done. She testified for a million hours. She's, she, we don't love her, but, you know, she's brilliant. You know, I, I, we have to do this. We cannot vote for, you know, Bozo the Clown. Okay, we're going to hold our noses and vote for her. P.S. A minute later, fucking James Comey says, I'm reopening the investigation to the emails because Huma Abedin, who had nothing to do with the emails or Hillary Clinton, used Hillary's server for a few things with Elliot Spitzer. So he reopens the investigation, and I swear to you, this is how I see it. All the people who were going to hold their noses and vote for her, and she was five points up, went, that's it. They're reopening the investigation. We knew it. She's crooked. She's dirty. You really can't trust this woman. You can't. We have to vote for this idiot and hope for the best. And that's what I think. Not the but Meanwhile, haters. the FBI was also investigating him and never told us. But, but the, the, so, so we're selling, you know, you can't really judge the entire electorate because, yes, there are hateful haters there that said, I burn it down, baby. Give it to him. But I think she could have won. She was five points up and motherfucker. 
fucking James Comey yeah. reopened it. And why was he allowed to? That's what I want to know. She would have won. And, and literally, I could see it in people's faces. They went, you know, she's dirty. This is going to come up for the entire time she serves. She's not dirty. She wasn't dirty. And this was a plot to beat her. And so when I see Comey on TV, I live in a Comey-free home. My <laughs> husband and I turn him up. When he tweets, I tweet back to him every time. I go, this is all you, man. This is you. When history looks back, you. This is you. And he doesn't get a free pass from me. He's the reason it happened. Fortunately, James Comey is willing to give his thoughts on these subjects. Who gives um, a fuck? Well, yeah. I'm right? sorry. Well, are we on uh, ABC? No, no. I mean, <laughs> see, I guess yeah, I'm not as I'm optimistic. Girl, I'm not as optimistic as you. I'm the girl who never cursed on stage. This is why I stopped touring. <laughs> oh, no. I needed to get it out. <laughs> it's like Rosie's right here with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I never cursed in my act. 46 years. I have so many fucks saved up, and I'm using them all for James Comey. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess I like to call myself a recovering cynic, but I, I was almost bleaker. I thought at the time, and my mom had just died, so I was oh, in I like I was Bergman. I was so depressing. I was like Ingmar Bergman directing the Star Wars prequels. I was really depressing, That's and I just said, funny. the sixty-two million people mocking a disabled guy yeah. wasn't a deal breaker. Yeah. All the lies. Hey, All how about two weeks ago? Grabbing him by the pussy. These people are at the border. Shoot them. Yeah. And he said, oh, you can only get away with that here. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, he stole and money. And children are dying. He stole money from veterans with a scam online university. Yes. And the Patriots voted hey, for him anyway. if you want to list the list, this will be a 180-day podcast because <laughs> it never ends. Nothing mattered. I, I'll tell you a funny thing. I mean, I don't know. I, um, I, like you, thought, oh, man, half this country is illiterate and hateful and racist I didn't want to and think misogynist. This. And I just want to say, before you call me an elite, I went to public school in Brooklyn. I did not graduate. I got what they called a general diploma. In those days, there was a uh, scholastic diploma and a general diploma. Uh, diploma. Diploma. And what the general meant was, you've passed nothing, but we saw you, and we need the chair. <laughs> and I got a general diploma. I was out at 16 years old because I never showed up, and they said, get out. You know, pretty much a dropout, but they put my name in the general diploma. So I'm not an elitist, and I didn't have college, and I didn't have anything. I decided that I wanted to be a smart person, I spent my life educating myself. So take your elite bullshit and keep it. But this is what I, I thought, like, like most people think. It was half the country is horrible. And then an interesting thing happened this week. Maybe it's just interesting to me. I hope I don't bore you. But not at all. So my, I live in a co-op in New York. Um, they rule the roost. You don't really own your apartment. You own shares in the building. Yes. So if they decide to do something in your apartment, there's nothing you can do about it. They needed to replace all the windows and doors in the apartments because they failed and they were old and they had to do all this work. So they sent the crew to my apartment this week. And I really have a, my apartment's like an art piece. I just, I made it into an art It is, I would sell it, it whole as an art piece with everything in it. I was out in the hall talking to neighbors, having a nice time, drinking coffee. I come in, they did the demolition. They didn't put stuff down. They didn't put sheets down or plastic or anything. Everything I owned was chipped, black, covered in pebbles. Everything was literally destroyed in this apartment that I had for 25 years of beauty. And I got so insane in my head. And just listen for a second. I went, this building did this to me? I was a good tenant. I mean, I'm not a tenant. I'm a shareholder. But 25 years, I went along with them. When things broke that were their fault, I didn't ask them to pay because they said, we don't do that. When things got ruined by other workers in the building, things of mine got ruined. They didn't pay. I let it go. I really thought 
I'm going to burn this damn building down this week. I'm moving. And and there's someone who always runs for the board that people don't want to get him because he will <laughs> burn it down. I rang his bell and gave him my proxy this year. I said, burn it down, baby. And I realized this is what happened with the Trump voters. And this is very kind to them because what I realize is nothing changes. It's not that they thought, well, he'll get in there and make it better for us. What they realized before we realized was it's never going to trickle down to us. They're never getting what they need. Mm-hmm. We, the, the white people who work and make you know these money, who think, oh, well, if we just affect the right people. No, we're never getting anything. Even if you put in everybody you want, it, they get so fucked up at the top by the time the laws don't get passed. Those people, the the racist haters, are smarter than we are. They knew it was never coming down to them, no matter who the hell got in. And now I look at the building and I go, you are never going to be treated fairly. They're never going to make this right, no matter who gets in. This is why you want to burn the building down. Because it's never coming back to the, the people who just live here. And I realize the people who support Trump, it's like, yes, the worse it gets, do you do you hate him now? No, I like him more because he's fucking all of you. Yeah. And you really thought you and were getting a share. what conservatism is now, yeah. owning the libs. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think they burned it down by staying home. Like, initially, I thought, oh, my How God, I've lost all vote. faith with this country. How but dare you not vote? How dare you? 46% How stayed home. How dare you? you, she, you came in, she came in second. I mean, apathy came in first. She came Excellent. in second. He came in third. I, I, to not vote to me, how did, people died for this. People were lynched for this. Women were arrested and beaten for this. And it's 100 years this year, but only for certain white women. It mm-hmm. was, you know, not until the 60s that black women got to vote. You know, it's not 100 years for everybody. I mean, the fact that people died for this, you don't vote? Who? How dare you? But I if, understand the apathy. I understand You can't have up. apathy if you hate us. Vote. Vote in another Trump. But you have to get out there. You have to participate. There really should be something that you can't get a driver's license but or something. Absolutely. But, but that's, it's the reverse because their worst fear is poor people voting. And yes, so it is in the interest of the status vote. quo to make poor people think it doesn't matter. All these voter ID laws, mm-hmm. it's not about black people per se. It's about low-income people, yes. including college kids. It's, it's public school people. Because they never, both parties are guilty of, for the last hundred years, never fixing the educational system in this country. For a long time, I used to say rich people pay Fox people to make middle class people blame poor people. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, it works, right? Like, like, you know, you tell people who don't have a lot of education, who are struggling in many cases economically, who may live in their own kind of system of injustice, where their problems come from, and I don't care if it's the Klan or Al-Qaeda, they will do some hating. And... When I was a kid, we were told to hate the Russians, and then we were told to uh, hate the, the Arabs, and now it has shifted. We were told to hate gay marriage hmm. in, in 2004. It was all and about they, hating gay marriage. Always, everyone's always been told to hate women. 2010, we had to hate health care. Had yeah, to hate health care right. in 2010. It's just, you know, I understand about the hate, you know, punching down and being taught to punch down, but I don't understand punching yourself in the face. And that's really what all these people are doing, is punching yeah. the, are the farmers happy? Oh yeah, I'm still behind them, really? Well, of course they are. They're getting our tax billions to make up for his bad trade negotiations. Uh, our, our tax billions borrowed from China borrowed from, for a tariff war with why, China. How does China not say, uh, we're gonna call in and then just attach like a little tugboat to the coast of Florida 
power to pull half the country off and take it to China because they own it. They can just, you know, right? do a repo. It's Get a like repo, man. Trump going out, you know, this is how you know Trump never smoked weed because you don't insult your supplier. In, unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> unbelievable. They own us. I mean, what, are they just sitting back going, yep, keep going, keep going, mister. The, the, the Chinese state-run media is actually calling this irrational because they say they this know, tariff war yeah. will hurt the American people and it's going to hurt his Duh. face. Uh, is not hurt. everything made here? And he's saying buy things made here. First of all, all the crap you sell isn't made here. Your daughter's shoes weren't made here. That they she outsourced was selling. their manufacturing all over. Everything. And someone said, well, the hats now say made in America. And someone else wrote, yeah, but the tags that say that were made in China. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can't remake the world by being obstinate. And, and the fact that, y you know, you can put, look, Obama didn't have all the experience in the world, but the fact is when you're an intelligent person, you educate yourself very quickly and you keep doing it. At least a it. curious person. Y you have to have intellectual curiosity. I mean, like I said, I ha got no formal education and I decided I would learn, you know, I would learn, I mean, because you learn every day if you want to. And for him to say, oh no, I'll just go meet North Korea. I mean, I heard diplomats talking about, do you not understand it takes two years? Every word that's said, it's like a commercial. Every word that said shifts the barometer of the world. This has to be planned. This has to be, you have to know what the goal is. You have to, he just thinks, you know, everybody meets in a bar and pats each other on the back and buys each other a drink. It's not the way the world of politics works. And, and as proven by North Korea going go to hell and launching new missiles and re-upping. And Iran, while they are terrorists in the Middle East and do you know, support uh, bombing the hell out of the countries that Russia is supporting the other side mm -hmm. of bombing the hell out of. They are sticking to the nuclear deal, mm -hmm. which Europe has, you know, certified for uh, him to pull us out of which that. Which our Pentagon keeps bullshit. saying they're honoring. I mean, Barack Obama is the first president to earn his Nobel Peace Prize retroactively. That was the greatest. No kidding. So much work to set that deal exactly. up. Exactly. They went, uh, when I was a kid, in the 80s, I was used to them burning the American flag right. in the streets of Tehran, right. and then suddenly they're waving the flag, yeah. and this has to yeah. stop. And, you know, the thing is, there's no carrot. It's all stick all the time. When he said, you know, I'm tired of these countries coming here and cut all the aid for Honduras and all of those countries, you go, you don't cut aid to get them to stop coming here. You increase aid and make it palatable and safe and economically feasible to stay in your own country. Or stop so your you drug war, because that's what they're all running away from, is the drug war violence. Yes, of course. And look, if we didn't buy it, they wouldn't be able to sell it. So uh, even America is responsible for the drug war because we're buying their drugs. And, and the whole business with the wall was always a con to me because there's no wall you can build big enough to hide the gigantic help wanted sign. If they wanted illegal immigration, by the way, I call them Christian refugees now. I don't even call them undocumented. They're wow. Christian. I want to put this right in their plate to eat. Good for you. The reason they're coming here is because we're hiring. Yeah. So if you started locking up those Caucasians who hire undocumented folks, you'd see this stop. Well, but they don't want to. That's how you know they don't mean it. Right. And all of Scrotus's help in his hotels are undocumented. And that came out a couple of weeks ago. He's hired them he's in two different centuries. Of course. Polish he's... undocumented workers built Trump Tower. So how come he's not getting fined? Or here's the other thing, which I find incredible. In California, because, you know, I, I, I live in both places, a couple of years ago, they really cracked down on immigration and uh, and they got it stopped, you know, for the most part in California. And farmers, when everything's dying in the fields, we cannot get workers, American workers to come 
pick the lettuce, pick the, the horseradish, do the farming. We ha you have to help us. And California set up a, a um, trolley system where, you know, a, 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 j a jitney system mm -hmm. where they would pick up the Mexican workers at the border of Tijuana, drive them to the farms in the daytime, drive them home. This went on for a couple of years in California because they stopped immigration so well that there was no one to, d you know, this is an agri agricultural yeah. country. Oh, if you they got know how it, it's done. We'd, we'd pay $60 for a salad. That might not affect Donald Trump and his supporters, but still, that's what we'd pay for if it, you didn't have it. That's right. And because exploited labor is yeah. always propped up this economy from slavery to Hotels, little girl little girls making iPhones in China. Agriculture to sneakers to everything. So so here's here's my big million dollar question for you, Ms. Boozlet. Sir. Well and by the way, when you came in here I was all set to talk about Andy Kaufman and talk about the eighties and as I said at the beginning, I with don't, you I don't, it's all <laughs> contemporary. I don't 80s. ever but like every time not I sit down 80s. with you, I want to talk about your career in review, but what well, you're at least doing up to ninety two now. What you're doing now is always so much, much more interesting better. to me. Much better. Um all the faith well, I it's lost. It's not better, it's just now. Okay, yeah, but but that's it. Like yeah. like you are one of these artists that would never be an old exact. Not an old exact. No, and I wish people would understand that. But you know, Comedy Central or you know, eight guys and three chicks will blow them. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> All the faith in my country that I lost after that election mm -hmm. was restored when I went to the women's march in D.C. that weekend. When I took my my and little that was when nice. I took my little kid to the the anti-Muslim ban march mm -hmm. in Battery Park, mm -hmm. and for me, like all the faith I lost. Um, has come back in seeing newsreaders becoming actual journalists and seeing the Parkland kids. We have AOC now. We have we have five women running for president. Yeah. We we're going to have single payer health care in the Democratic Party platform. Every negative event we can look at in history, I can show you the positive things that sprang oh, sure, from it. Sure, sure. But how how have you managed to maintain? Because I know a lot of comedians who've lost their minds. I know comedians who are afraid to play to audiences because they're so terrified there's going to be a red hat heckling them. Yeah. How, how have you navigated it, kept it positive, and kept yourself sane during all this well, while still being informed? Well, I've never been sane, so that's, that's one advantage. There I've kept go. myself as insane as I've always been, so that's fine. Um, I still was touring when Scrotus was in. I only stopped a year ago, so I had you know over a year of, of him in office. But my thing was, I never cared about being liked by the audience. I always cared about speaking my mind. So I, I love a good bar fight. I mean, I always said, if there's anybody left in this room by the time the show's over, I have failed. <laughs> I, would have, I was in Texas once when Bush was in office, and I was just wailing on Bush, and this old couple got up, and the guy screamed, who's coming with me? Because they had had it they were leaving and no one stood up and I said I'll go <laughs> <laughs> and he dragged the two other couples with him out of his table and they walked out and about 10 minutes later the two other couples snuck back in so it was just the uh. guy and his wife but you know you look I I think you're there to give them a show if they yeah. wanted to hear the same thing every day they'd stay home and watch TV you have to bring your ray of light to each city and you have to keep it funny it you has have to, keep to be it funny. funny first or you're not a comedian and you failed if it's funny first and I'm telling you I was in Tulsa once and I got picketed by the NRA because they had done put on some of my gun jokes on the news to sell my tickets for that night and they saw that and they came running down to this huge theater and picketed me and I wasn't sold out because it was Tulsa it was a huge theater and it was like the Miss Tulsa pageant like every 15 minutes another girl in a gown would come in crying and sit in the back <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I am so low, low maintenance. So they're picketing outside. So I open the stage door. I run out and go, come on in, come on in. They went, no. And I said, come on in, watch the show. And I got all the NRA and brought them in. They're sitting, you know, all over the theater. And I, I got a standing ovation at the end because, yeah. you know, they couldn't argue with the logic of the jokes. I don't do, I don't, it's not personal politics. It's the politics of, of, of policy and effect. If, if you come up and say George Bush is an idiot, then you have every right to say I'm a bad yeah, comic and walk names. out. You know, that's not political comedy, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But if you actually talk about the policy and what it's done and what it's going to do and make it funny, there's no argument against you because they can only say, well, I don't care. I st-. In other words, if you say and make it funny, well, the tariffs have killed the farmer's soybean market. They can't say, I hate you. They go, yeah, it has. Yeah. But if you make that funny, they can't be mad at you for it because, hey, it's true, and well, that was really funny. That's what you have to do. Now, if a comic isn't good enough to do that, that's your problem. But you have to, it has to be a funny person. It should smack them in the head on the way home. Yeah, and I mean. that's what it has to a, be. And a, if you're afraid to go out, be, be a better comic. A political comedian who is just joking about Trump's weight or his exactly. spray tan is not a political comedian. And, tan jokes and, and when they tell jokes. And when they tell you, oh, you're a hater, you're a hater, I'm like, I don't hate anyone, no. but I do hate bad policy. Bad I policy. hate repeating eating what Bush did for the economy. Exactly. I don't like where the policy's going. If I hate oh, Trump, who please. cares what I think of Absolutely. him as a person? Absolutely. I never make jokes about when he makes a spelling error on Twitter oh, or makes a wrong uh, reference. Yeah, no, 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 no. That, I don't bother because uh, that's just distraction. That's something shiny. Don't give up on the water's po- getting more poison. He just let asbestos back into the building industry. You know, the air's bad. They, they're opening up parklands. They're dr- you stick to the prize, you know? Don't look at the distractions. So then let me let me wrap it with this question. How do you focus on it and stay aware and stay as woke as fuck and know as much as you can factually and not lose your mind? Because I'm a woman and I started in 1973 and I lost my mind then. <laughs> and luckily, I'm. And that's like getting a measles vaccine. I'm good. I know what's coming. I know what's happening. I've been there a long time and it's just more of the same. And you have to fight it as much as you can. Miss Boozler, you are one of the uh, greatest saying. practitioners of this art that I have ever witnessed. It's an honor <laughs> to know you. I don't think I was very funny today. I apologize for How, that. But, but, but that's okay, right? We got right? a little passionate instead. That's so. okay. I don't know if, if it's supposed to be a comedy one, then I'll come back and you know just be funny. No, I have I have all kinds of people. I mean, you've done my radio show. I like to do the yeah. kind of work where we go from funny to serious on a dime. Yeah. And I'd rather you be real than you well, know. Well, thank you. And you were plenty funny too. Well, thank you. We'll play this back and listen to all the jokes. Oh. I hope there are some. And by the way, if you want to understand why this woman is so important to American comedy, pick up the box set, Timeless. I wouldn't lie to you. This will give you hours. You want to binge watch something where you're going to feel great? Five hours. By the way, it's And it's it all so supports tales of joy. Good for the brain. I oh, mean, thank like, you. You know what I love? When you go on the Amazon page, it says, Frequently Bought Together. And it's been up there for months. And it says, Timeless and Michelle Obama Becoming. And it's the two. And they give you a deal wow. on the both. And I went, oh, my goodness. She must be so mad at this. <laughs> no, I, I just want to see that I'm tour. Flattered. Yeah, I want to see that tour, too. I'll open for her. Hey, before I let you go, um, <laughs> one, one of the things that, that I love the most about you and that I think everyone needs to think about now is your love for animals. Mm-hmm. And I do think that this is a time when if, if you are too crazy uh, because of what's going on in the world, it is healthy to give love to someone else. And, and that can include an animal. an animal. 
it's true. I mean, that is what keeps me sane, just doing that. It gives meaning to life every day. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing to do. And we're at talesofjoy.net, T-A-I-L-S of joy.net. And if you need help, please hit me up over there because we do Trap New to Release across the country and we fund it completely. We have a huge six-figure fund to help you uh, cut down on stray cats in your neighborhood in a humane way. So hit us up there and look at our stuff. You can shop. You can give us, if you have like five bucks you hate that you're really mad at, give it to us. And I always tell people when you when you think about adopting, and I, I actually did a I did a weird pinup calendar for Adopt Don't Shop a That's couple years great. ago. It was like eleven hunky New York City men Why and not? me with Dad their uh, with their uh, adopted pets because I've always That's adopted. So great. Um, but I, I tell people all the time if you if you're afraid of a lot of work, here's something important: adopting a senior dog right. or a senior cat oh. is one of the best things you can do if the you best. don't want to deal with raising a puppy or a kitten right. already housebroken. And even by two. Will love you right away yep. that day, and, and be the they best know you saved them. I'm not kidding. They'll do your taxes. They'll mm -hmm. vacuum. They'll take a bullet for you. We took Annie. I think she was 150 when we got her. We only got two years out of her, but she's the one who's most in my mind. Two of the best years of my life, and certainly hers. And I wrote an opera about it that I've performed with three symphonies so far. It's called Rescue, a true story, and I hope to tour the country with it. So that's why I'm not you touring. Touring in any capacity. Yeah. And by the way, I just want to say, in the course of trying to do this in my living room here in Manhattan, <laughs> we've been interrupted by my dog, my cat, and my child. All three pets have uh, intrusion. Yay, and I've loved it. <laughs> it's perfect. Makes me feel at home. Thank you. On a good day, these hands touch the feces of three different species. Yay! That's what it's like. <laughs> Elaine Boozler, please Great. follow her on all the socials. Pick up Timeless and help support Tales of Joy. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. Now it's time for the revoltingly fake Christian of the Week. This was a segment I did on the old current TV show, and the winner is Governor Kay Ivey. She's got an A rating from the NRA. Alabama has the second highest rate of gun deaths in the nation. And their state laws make it easier for domestic abusers to have easy access to guns. Let's talk about how pro-life she is. This week, of course, she signed into law the Alabama Human Life and Protection Act. And she wrote to the bill's many supporters, this legislation stands as a powerful testament to Alabamians' deeply held belief that every life is precious and that every life is a sacred gift from God. Turns out that maybe not every life is precious and maybe some sacred is more sacred than others because the next day she signed the death warrant for a prisoner on death row saying this evening justice has been delivered to the loved ones of these victims and it signals that Alabama does not tolerate murderous acts of any nature. So we have to kill people be to show that people who kill people are wrong and all life is sacred unless we decide to fucking kill you. Now, again, I'm against the death penalty because I try to follow the stuff that Jesus guy talked about. And this is in no means saying that I think the man executed was innocent. We know he wasn't. Brandon, uh, Michael Brandon Samara was executed by lethal injection on Thursday night. And he and a friend of his were convicted in killing four people, including two children, in 1997. Um, his co-conspirator was, uh, had his sentence overturned because he was only 16 at the time of the killings. Mr. Samra, executed this week, was 19 years old. This week he was executed at 41. He was killed at 41 for the most horrible thing he did when he was 19. Now, I'm not saying he should have been freed. I think when you murder a whole family, you get to stay locked up as long as those people remain dead. And I'm not saying the governor enjoyed signing the death warrant. She did say no governor covets the responsibility of weighing the merits of life or death 
but it is a burden I accept as part of my pledge to uphold the laws of this state. Governor K, women have access to abortion, and that was the law of your state as well. But you, Governor, did not feel obliged to uphold the laws you didn't like. Again, Jesus never mentioned abortion, but he overturns the death penalty in the Sermon on the Mount. He rejects an eye for an eye. He, he later goes on and says that you have to forgive anyone who hurts you, 70 by 7. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. He stops an execution and says only people who have never sinned in their lives should be allowed to carry them out. The guy wasn't really big on killing the sinner. But she killed him. And she signed this bill because she's so pro-life. Well, Alabama's 37 in child and teen death rate. It's 39 in teen births, 42 in children who live concentrated in high poverty areas, 46 in child poverty overall, 47th in American public health, and 50th in education. See, Governor K. Ivey, uh, I respect that you think you're pro-life, but sanctity of life includes how a state cares for actual babies after they're born. You're last in education. You're 49th in pre-12 education. You're not pro-life. You're pro-some life. This is the Sanity Podcast, where happiness is an inside job. And this is a segment called Inspiration Nation. It's kind of a, an ongoing, ever-growing weekly collection of music books, films, stuff for the other hemisphere of your brain. The news wants you crazy. The politicians do, too. Uh, here's a few things we're going to be building on as the months go by that just kind of give you your own sanity check. Uh, first off, films. Moonlight. Don't tell me you haven't seen Moonlight, because if you haven't, it's time to see it again. Uh, this film is like an IQ test for your empathy. The first film with an all-black cast to win Best Picture, incredibly low budget, three actors playing one character of a um, African-American gay drug dealer. It is one of the most moving movies you're ever going to see, and it's the kind of thing you need to revisit again and again. Also, High Noon. I don't know how long it's been since you watched High Noon, but trust me, if the Donald Trump situation makes you feel like the country's abandoned their senses, this is a movie that's really grounding. Next is a book by Dr. Robert Lustig. Uh, he's the guy who wrote that great book about sugar. Um, I did a bunch of TV shows with him. He believes that sugar's a drug and that it's killing us. His new book goes even farther, and it's, it's a special kind of brilliant. It's called The Hacking of the American Mind. He was a guest on our SiriusXM show discussing this book, and the general thesis of the book is that Wall Street figured out how to sell us the illusion of happiness when nearly all they're selling us is pleasure. It's a crude simplification of what his book is, but he goes deep into the chemistry of happiness versus pleasure. Pleasure is transient, right? It's, it's, it's very intense, and you keep having to try and try again to match the same level of pleasure. Happiness is serotonin. It's not as exciting. It's a, a, a calmer thing and a more steady emotion. And Dr. Lustig talks about how they learned how to make the brain byproducts for that fleeting moment of pleasure. And we become consumers and addicted to consuming as we keep on going back and shopping and shopping and shopping. It's a terrific book. It's very political. It's very scientific. The Hacking of the American Mind by Dr. Robert Lustig. And then uh, here's the playlist. Every week we're building an ongoing list of resistance anthems, songs to help you talk yourself off a ledge when you need it. Some of them are inspiring, some of them are very loud. Uh, this week's list is number five through ten. Lauren Hill with her cover of Nina Simone's Feeling Good. Now, I love Nina Simone. I saw her play 
her last ever concert in LA at the Wiltern Theater. She's, she's a goddess. But what Lauren Hill does with this cover is completely turn this song on its ear, not by making it a hip hop track, but by going rock and roll. The guitar work on this is amazing. Lauren Hill's voice is perfect for this song. It was made for the Nina Simone documentary on Netflix. Check it out. Thank me later. Also, might be a little harder to find, but Ziggy Marley with Blowing in the Wind. A couple years back, Amnesty International did a two-disc tribute album uh, to Bob, and one of the artists was Ziggy, just his guitar, doing a spare, dark acoustic version of Blowing in the Wind. It's gorgeous. He did it on Letterman as well. Track it down. It'll help you. Number three, John Lennon, Instant Karma. I shouldn't have to tell you this, but it's always there waiting for you. There are some days when that song gets me out of the house. Uh, number four is uh, Up Above My Head by Sister Rosetta Tharp. My brother Brian got me into Sister Rosetta many years ago. My brothers have much better taste in music than me. And she is now considered to be the godmother of modern rock and roll. Again, the track is called Up Above My Head. Go look for the video of it on YouTube or any videos of Sister Rosetta. She was just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame finally a few years ago. She'd be in her hundreds now. There's no one on earth who plays guitar and sings like Sister Rosetta Tharp. And number five is I Won't Back Down. Another cover, not Tom Petty's original. This is Johnny Cash's version from the American Recordings produced by Rick Rubin with Tom Petty on backing vocals. Johnny Cash, I Won't Back Down. Hey, uh, listen, I have a lot of things going on. A lot of exciting projects as well. Uh, I, I've, I've just designed this incredible toilet paper dispenser roll that's mounted six feet high on the bathroom wall for people who have kittens. I, I'm creative. I have a lot of stuff going on. If you want to see me live, I'm going to be performing all over the place. In Beacon, New York, I'll be doing a reading of my new solo show. Uh, which is about how to raise a toddler while your country's electing one at the Catalyst Gallery. That's Friday, May 31st. Saturday, June 1st, I'll be at the Make Wine With Us Winery in Wallington, New Jersey. My friend Greg the Greek got me to go do that one. Greg's a big Trump guy. He's insane, but I agreed to do it. Uh, we'll see. Come bail me out. Um, the Crane Theater in New York City on Thursday, June 13th. I'm sorry, Thursday, June 6th for my new show about raising a toddler while America's electing one. I'll be doing it in L.A. a week later, a uh, date to be announced on my website, but that'll be Thursday, June 13th. June 19th, I'll be playing at the Stress Factory in Bridgeport, Connecticut. June 26th, the Stress Factory in New Brunswick. And August 2nd, the Ramshead in Annapolis, Maryland. Now, uh, here's where we'll do the comment section every week where we invite you to send in your suggestions, threats, rebukes, awkward flirtations, comments, and promises of glory. Just go to johnfugelsang.com. And we close this and every episode with a very special segment, even though we do it every week. Ask a Trump Defender. This is also a hashtag campaign, and what it is is a series where every week we're building a list of actual questions that your Trump-defending loved ones has probably never been asked. Uh, I welcome you to add your own uh, on Twitter or Facebook. Use the hashtag AskAtrumpDefender. Here's a few for this week to add to our ongoing list. Number one, ask your Trump defender when they come by, do you agree with the president that Paul Manafort is brave and is to be praised because he didn't break? and cooperate with prosecutors? Those are Trump's terms. Brave, and he didn't break. Is that a good thing? That he didn't cooperate with law enforcement. Number two, do you believe Donald Trump when he says he had the largest inauguration crowd in history? Do you accept that? Number three, what would you have said, Trump-loving loved one, if Hillary Clinton compared American intelligence agents to Nazi Germany? Trump did that. 
the week he was inaugurated. Would you, you would have been cool with Hillary saying that, right? No complaints? Number four, look him in the eye and ask him, would you want your kids to emulate Trump when they grow up? And if they say, sure, uh, yeah, I'd love my kids to emulate Trump, point out that uh, their kids are not going to get 400 million when they die. That's what Trump got. Uh, and finally, number five, ask him this. Hey, I get you want to pull out of the Iran deal. Congratulations. Even though the Pentagon says they're still complying with the terms of the agreement, um, if pulling out of the Iran deal makes gas prices go up and it makes it easier for Iran to enrich uranium since they no longer have to comply and now it's easier for them to potentially get nukes, is that worth it to you? Do you prefer Iran waving our flag like they did in the streets of Tehran after the deal was cut? Or do you like those days of Iran burning it? However your friend answers this question will tell you a lot about where they're coming from. Hey, our email address. We'd love to hear comments, suggestions, threats, rebukes, awkward exchanges, and promises of glory. Go to johnfugelsang.com and send us a message. We're going to try to read uh, angry viewer comments here every week. Um, also, I have a lot of projects going on. Uh, a lot of things I'm excited about. I, I just designed a toilet paper dispenser roll that's mounted six feet high on a bathroom wall for people who live with kittens. I'm working on a patent for that, but I'm also doing some stand-up. You can see me live uh, May 31st in Beacon, New York at the Catalyst Art Gallery. I'll be there reading my new solo show, uh, How to Raise a Toddler While Your Country is Electing One. I think that's the title, we don't know yet. Uh, I'm gonna be performing at a winery in New Jersey, Wallington, New Jersey, the Make Wine With Us Winery, Saturday, June 1st. June 6th, I'll be doing my solo show at the Crane Theater in New York City in the East Village. June 13th, performing in Los Angeles, venue to be announced on my website. June 19th at the Stress Factory in Bridgeport, Connecticut. June 26th, the Stress Factory Comedy Club in New Brunswick. And August 2nd, I will be performing at the Ram's Head in Annapolis, Maryland. Go to johnfuglesang.com for all those details. Please follow me on the Twitter and uh, on the Instagram. Um, and, uh, and please go to johnfuglesangstore.com. We've got all kinds of cool whimsy and resistance swag. 100% of my merchandise is made here in America, unlike Trump and Ivanka, and shipping is free. Guys, I'm new at this. I thank you very much for all the kind comments. I'm really enjoying it. I'm delighted that Stephanie Miller chloroformed me and forced me to do a podcast for the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. I'm going to be right back next week. Please write with more of your comments. Subscribe. Give us a great review. Go listen to last week's episode with David Crosby. Thank you so much to Elaine Boozler. And remember, as Seneca said, it is not because things are difficult that we do not dare. It is because we do not dare that they are difficult. <laughs>